Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're talking about the pilot episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Encounter at Farpoint. Da, da, da. Yeah, the music. And I just want to apologize for the any background noise at my end because it's rainy and windy here and it's actually a very nice day it's warm but rainy but it might sound more apocalyptic mm, than it, really it is, is rainy and windy here as well i guess we're sort of in that oh, that twins. time period where we kind of have the same weather yeah it, my spring it's your a fall. transition <laughs> the best time of year <laughs> just as the next generation transitions from there's no transition. Encounter at Farpoint is just consistently <laughs> itself. I always guess from the 60s to the 90s. Is that where you were going with that? Oh, that's really kind of like the 70s to the 90s. Yeah, it's a very old-fashioned, slow-paced sort of uh, story. But I don't. I haven't really watched much adult television from the 80s, so maybe that's standard. I'm try. I don't even know what was really the contemporary shows then like LA law I know what oh man LA law I watched a lot of LA law I'll be honest I was (laughs) I was deep into LA law even though I was way too young for that nonsense like I don't know it was not appropriate but I was definitely watching it so encounter at farpoint which somehow managed to inspire te- seven more years of television, three spin-offs, and now a new sequel 20 years after the f- next generation ended. It is a And I looked at Encounter at Farpoint last week and I went, how? Yeah, it is a hat trick. <laughs> like, that is impressive. I mean, we all, we all knew that. We all knew that everyone says that don't, don't pay attention to next generation much until like season three. Yeah. But how did it get to season three? <laughs> because it's a mystery. <laughs> how is it not cancelled after Code of Honor? Yeah. I mean, the first half of season one is really, really terrible. I mean, I mean most people would say all of season one, but uh, I'll give it like at least toward the end, it gains a little bit of momentum. <laughs> Yeah, like Arsenal of Freedom is really solid. Conspiracy is an amazing episode. And certainly The Greatest Generation made The Neutral Zone sound fun, which I didn't expect. (laughs) And I'm certainly not going to re-watch it and find out for myself. It does have the Romulans showing up at the end. I really liked the whole Romulan reveal at the end of Neutral Zone, even though it's ridiculous and... And they never, like, they don't really ever pay that off. <laughs> like, the Romans no, are in Next Generation, but they don't pay off the, like, ominous, we're going to be the big baddies <laughs> vibe that you get from the neutral zone. That doesn't happen. Maybe they had a change of government and a change of policy, and they're just hoping no one would notice. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds Romulan, actually. Yeah, yeah. There was a coup, another coup by guys <laughs> wearing identical big shoulder pads. Okay, um, but yeah, but Encounter at Farpoint, I mean, it is, the best thing I can say about it is that sure is a pilot. <laughs> I mean, I, I say this about every show. There are, you know, there is like 1% of series that have a good pilot. It is really yeah. difficult to have a good pilot. I give most new series three episodes to sell me. Because I know that Same. it's not going to be in that first one. You know, my f- most, my favorite, favorite series of all time, I, I will still say have a terrible pilot. So <laughs> it's, it's okay that, that it's bad, yeah. but it, it's really bad. <laughs> I found the directing quite interesting. I thought it was good and interesting in a way that a lot of TNG later on wasn't. 
and you know you had a lot of strange angles and this really weirdly ominous opening shot of Picard silhouetted yeah. through the window of his ready room that's amazing I don't understand why you're opening your new series by framing your captain as if he's a super villain yeah. it, it is a very interesting opening I noticed that I also noticed in the trial scene that for reasons that are beyond me Picard had like a a vignette around him the entire time yes I went looking to see if there was anything the director said about his choices in that scene because they were so interesting and then later on we had the excuse me the really wonderful scene where Wesley steps onto the bridge and we shift to his point of view and we do see for the first time the bridge from from that angle and movement and Picard leaning over to the captain's chair and looking welcoming And if, if that wasn't in every advertisement, then someone missed a trick. I really loved the the captain's chair shot in that sequence. It was really well done. It was just a little bit off. Like, so you were, you were Wesley walking. It wasn't yeah. even just, like, yeah. his point of view. It was, it was a little bit shaky cam right at the end. And that was just such an amazing choice. So, yeah, the camera work... Is, is really good and interesting. The direction of the actors? No. <laughs> I mean, Not so great. Maybe it was the actors, but there, I was just like, what are these choices? I either, like, someone made a bad choice, and I don't know who it was, and I don't want to, you know, blame anyone. And again, no, like, the actors, these are the first time they're playing these characters. They don't know what they're doing. No, mm. no one knows how to stand. They don't know how they're interacting with other people. You know, it's all very new, and I get that. But some of the choices are just like, why? Just Apparently, I was reading last night that Gates McFadden played Beverly's scene with Riker on Farpoint Station much more hostile and irritable, and then she got a better handle on the character and went back and re-recorded that dialogue to be more friendly. And I'm like, if that's the friendlier version... See... Because no one seems to like each other. I came out of that scene shipping it. <laughs> I was like... I know you did. Now I understand why I always had this secret, like, I'm embarrassed to talk about how I ship Will Riker and Beverly Crusher. And I all, I, it's not new. It wasn't like, oh, this is, an, this is interesting. It was, oh, now I get it. I get why this happened. <laughs> all these years I never understood I thought it was just the host and that was like too embarrassing (laughs) but no it's also in this episode I was watching that scene thinking if you didn't know what the intended pairings were for these characters you would think that we were being set up with a really cool little older woman younger man but otherwise professional equals scenario exactly. Wesley ships it exactly Wesley was all over it I was like oh man I, I have to start plotting the fic where Wesley is trying to set Riker <laughs> up with his mom when Wesley says that his mother is just shy around men she doesn't know like if I said that about my mother at that age I don't think she would have slapped me but I would have been in so much trouble that is so inappropriate it was strange. The, the, the Wesley and Beverly stuff was strange. The Wesley and Riker stuff, like, not strange bad, but it was just, it was, I, didn't, I felt like that didn't carry over, really. Like, these yeah, relationships yeah. didn't stay the way they are in this episode. I mean, eventually Riker is, is sort of raising Wesley while his mother isn't there, but we never actually see that. It's just sort of a throwaway line. So it was sort of like, well, I guess that's setting up that dynamic, even though obviously they didn't know that was going to happen. But I, it was, you know, in our last episode, we were discussing Leslie and her having mentors. And so mm. I was like, I guess this is how, like, now we have this. Riker is his mentor, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's what's going on here. But it really came across like, Wesley has a crush on Riker, and so he's going to set him up with <laughs> his mom because that's more appropriate and he'll still be in his life. Like... <laughs> Not like not not necessarily a romantic sexual crush, but like a I really like this guy and I want him to be in my family. I think that is very very consistent with fourteen year old feelings and logic. Yeah, but th- but then the end of that scene was one of the parts where I was just like, who directed this or who who cho- who made this <laughs> option? Who chose? Because what happens is like. Uh, 
you know, Riker's like, oh, you, you know Jean-Luc Picard? Because you're using his first name. Yeah. And everyone goes quiet. <laughs> Beverly looks at Wesley and, like, nods for him to answer, which is just why. And then, like, Wesley, you know, very seriously and sadly is like, oh, he brought my father's dead body back to us. And then Beverly, like, sort of brushes that off, like, oh, that was, that was ages ago, whatever, that doesn't matter. And it's just like... I have no feelings. What is going on? None of that made sense. Why did she direct it to Wesley? He, why was Wesley answering? And then why did she poo-poo it as soon as it was said? That was bad. That was bad writing. It was bad directing. It was bad acting. She's outsourcing the exposition. It was just, yeah. I mean, it was like, obviously that's why it was there. We needed this exposition, but it was not handled well. It just, no. It, the whole no. story's crashed <laughs> to have this really <laughs> sad story told by poor Will Wheaton not being, like, he, he turned into a different character because he was playing, yeah. he was playing one Wesley. And then he was playing another Wesley in that line. And it was, mm. we didn't know the character enough to like believe that. It wasn't, it came across as two different people as opposed to a complicated 14 year old because we, we weren't there yet. It was very capital letters writing for television. Yes. And then, and I just do not understand what Beverly was doing. Nothing. That, because she she looks at him and nods to him and then she also turns into a completely different person and has this other, you know, we're going to dismiss this, that's not important mm. line. It was like, if it wasn't important, why didn't you just answer the question with like, yes, we met years ago. Like, this was easy, you didn't have to go into this whole sad sob story with, with someone you just met in the middle of the mall. Like, yes. <laughs> it's, it just feels so artificial that you would drop all this on Riker, a guy you've just met that you have to work with. Like, wouldn't you just say, my late husband served with him or, you know, something like that. Exactly. Yes. It was just ridiculous. Because the way, the way she looks at Wesley when... Riker asks if she knows Picard. It looks like she's about to say that Picard is Wesley's father. I know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the dynamics are so, so, so weird. And it's not, it's Don't very understand. uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable about all, for all of them, <laughs> especially Riker. It was like, man, Riker, I am sorry. And that, like that explains why they never did have that relationship that I wanted. Because he was like, oh, not getting into that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Bye-bye. It's bad enough he has that, that encounter. Then Tasha hates him at first sight, apparently. And then Deanna turns up. And he's like, oh, there is going to be no dating for Will Riker on this ship. <laughs> Aw, poor Riker. <laughs> oh, look, we know he has his good times. I just found it strange. Like, everyone is so serious and hostile to one another. And, and like, when Riker beams aboard the Enterprise, finally, Tasha doesn't crack a smile. She's not friendly. She's civil, and that's it. And it's like, what did Will Riker do to Tasha? Yeah. Nothing. It's just bad writing. And and what why does Riker yell at Jordy for no particular reason? <laughs> like that's something that bog, that really bugged me because it's at various points all of the women except Beverly, so both of them, and <clears throat> both of the characters played by black men are for, are yelled at and forced to apologize for very minor transgressions, and I'm like this is kind of dodgy. Yeah, especially. Like, in, in that scene with Jordy, like, Riker had just been trying to rope Beverly into his we're going to do work here yeah. in the mall, like, deal that had nothing to do with anything. And then immediately when Jordy shows up, he, he yells at him for protocol. was like, what oh. is going on? Jordy comes in extremely consistent with his future character in that he's written to be friendly and easygoing and kind of cool and creepy about women, but we don't know that yet. 
And, and, and so it's just so strange to have Will jump down his throat for this. It's very strange. In fact, I'm watching, watching Next Gen with my flatmate. We watched Encounter at Farpoint last Saturday. We're now into season three. We're up to Sarek, which I watched a few weeks ago, so that's going to be great. Uh, and I'm realising that none of the episodes that I've chosen really convey how fun Riker can be. So I need to get some trombone action in there or something because she's like, do you like this character? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, he's great. And it's like, why? Footage not found. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of affection for all of these characters. You know, I have like nostalgia. Like I get why it is coming back now because mm. I absolutely like enjoy watching them. No, yeah, like more so even than the other series that they're like as much family. As Voyager is my series, and as much as I can respect mm. Deep Space Nine at a storytelling level, that I can't really the others. Yes, <laughs> that uh, like Next Generation feels like home. You know, it's mm. very comforting. Like everything about Next Generation is comfortable, even when I'm angry at them <laughs> because they're angry at each other for no reason. Um. So it was, it's, very, it's very familiar, and, and it's just, it is really, they're so, they're so, they're the babies. It's baby Riker, and he doesn't know what he's doing yet, and like everybody. Which is, is it's but it's also weird that he doesn't know what he's doing because he's already been a first officer. That's like, that's the other, it's like, they, it's not like they aren't experienced. They're not experienced together as a mm. crew, and like that's. You know, by the time we do get to the end of season one, they are sort of acting more like a crew. They like, yeah, it doesn't take that long for them to sort of gel. So, no, maybe it's just that I've seen these episodes so many times. Like, I've seen so much of the next generation. I can like dictate it. Yes, because this is the one that it was on television all the time too. Like. You know, before streaming happened, Next Generation was really yes, the only was... one that I could find easily. And it's just, it's a part of your childhood. And I, I, I'm watching episodes that I barely even remember watching more than once as a kid. And I can still recall that, you know, the sound of the dialogue or the tone in Patrick Stewart's voice. It is familiar. Yeah, exactly. Which does make me wonder if there's going to be this... Uh, initial I don't want to say hostility but a sort of recoiling from Star Trek Picard when it airs and suddenly it's different and there are different people and different relationships like I don't know I want to be open-minded and I want to love it but I think I'm I, I would understand if people need a brief transition period I, to just yes I, I agree that I absolutely would understand I am the type of person who jumps right in I'm I'm yeah. I'm very good with, oh, this is new. But I know that that's, that's yes. different. That is different. I am different <laughs> because of this. <laughs> I understand this completely. Like, I explain it. It's easiest to explain with, like, um, a film adaptation of a book. I'm really yes. fine with changes because I see them as two different stories. Like, two different mm. versions of the same story, I guess, is the, is the best way to put it. And I know a lot of people who, if something doesn't make it into the film version, they get really distraught. Yeah. I'm sort of in between those two extremes. I love adaptations and I love seeing the different ways a story can play out. But if I start to get the impression that it's just change for change's sake or that the people making the adaptation maybe don't necessarily understand the characters. And I'm thinking yeah. here of the character descriptions for The Watch, the Discworld adaptation that was released. Uh, the, the character descriptions were released this week along with the casting. And I'm just kind of like, eh, eh, I think you're missing some subtleties. Mm. Yeah, I... Anyway, we're, we're, we're straying off topic. That's okay. I, I just want to deal on that quickly. Um, I think yes. that it's really, it's most important to be true to the characters. I think that's part of part yeah. of what my ability to ignore things is, is that <laughs> it, 
if the character is acting the way I believe them that they would act, then I don't care what they're doing. The plot can be completely different if the characters are true. That makes sense. And so I trust that Patrick Stewart's Picard is still going to be Picard. Like, that's that's how I I feel about it. And so I'm excited for the differences because I I Mm. trust that he knows what he's doing and that the people who are crafting it want to be true to that vision. I agree, but I'm still going to forgive myself if I need a little bit of time to adjust. I, I, I tend to go into things thinking, I'm going to love this, and then most of the time I love it. But, you know, you need to give yourself space or something or That's other. That's totally fair. And, and I think that we should all sort of calm down and, and accept that and, and give ourselves that space, and then we'll enjoy it more. Instead of, yeah. instead of getting angry at it for being different and then quitting on it and just and running away and <laughs> yelling about yelling at people who like it on Twitter. <laughs> that seems very But maybe sensible. I'm just Speaking silly. of which on Twitter there's an account called TrekDocs and a couple of years ago they shared a series of CompuServe forum posts from uh, around the time encounter at Farpoint premiered. And this is like the very early days of the internet. And it's so great. Everyone hated it. Let me, uh, the very first Star Trek spoiler on the internet. Blah, 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 blah. Without giving any spoilers away, I will just say that the new, sh- new series shows definite promise. The special effects are impressive, but the characters and story were better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh my Because... I think there's an impression that everyone feels felt at the time the way we do that it's kind of not very good and I like there's a lot of comments like like that here and I'm opening them up but I'm so glad that the very first remark about next gen on the internet was, was super super yes Aww. really like the captain loved the hemline on the ambassador which I think is Troy <laughs> oh my god okay just the fact that they decided she was an ambassador. <laughs> I know. Which would have been great. I like it. <laughs> it. I mean, it's not like they ever explain anything about Troy. <laughs> so, you know, no, whatever. No, no, I keep... He calls her by his rank instead of counselor. <laughs> and, yes. And she's just sort of there doing stuff. And he's like, how, how does it feel? Like, he... And it, it's... I can't complain about the terrible exposition in the in the, the mall Riker Crusher scene and then be mad at the fact that they don't give any exposition for Troy whatsoever. But No, all they say <laughs> is that she's half betazoid and she can sense emotions. And they don't do anything to define her job on the ship. Like because we've been skipping around, we're into se- as I said, we're into season three. My flatmate keeps going, but what's her job? Why is she on the bridge? Why isn't she wearing a uniform? And these are excellent Good questions. questions. And it made me, made me appreciate how much of the character development in Next Gen really happens in very small scenes in otherwise insignificant episodes. And, you know, the poker matches and little moments in 10 forward and that's where we really got to know the characters so it's hard to sit down and say this is how you get to know will Riker. yeah because he he grows so slowly yeah i mean and that's true of for everyone you're right that it, it is very mm. i but it's interesting because they do grow and i know we've said and everyone says that mm. it is very episodic that, that yes. nothing that happens in one episode is remembered in another episode. And it's not entirely true. There are, there are things that come up again, but it's, they're few, sort of few and far between as, in terms yeah, of Yeah, and they're very conservative that, about that it. That comes back. But character does grow. Character individually and relationships. Yeah. Um, and you're right that it's in the, it's in the sidebars. That, that they yeah I mean in, in sticking with just this pilot mm. 
which we're allegedly just talking about, <laughs> yes. Okay. So, uh, but did did you get who did you get a a good impression for? Would you say ignoring the acting? <laughs> I'm not, I I'm just I, I just want to say even Patrick Stewart doesn't quite know what he's. I doing think he yet. was <laughs> so. It's no. Just, I think I think he's more on the ball than most. Yes, but yeah. I would say that Patrick Stewart and Michael Dorn had the best presentation, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And it's because Patrick Stewart is really good and Michael Dorn didn't really have a character. So it was just sort of like, hey, I'm going to be this guy. Hey, I'm a Klingon. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, I am biased, obviously, but I always like Beverly straight from her introduction because she's not shiny, shiny, smiley and friendly and she's very cool to Riker and, you know, we talk so much about how soft and feminine the women of Next Gen are and I think that's true. I think even with Tasha, they really don't understand how to write a character like her. But Beverly is frankly a bit of a bitch. And she's the only woman who doesn't apologize in for for something uh i'm sorry she apologizes for thinking that Riker is trying to impress his captain by making work for himself and i think that's reasonable but it's not a groveling sort of apology she's very she's owning her mistake but not living in it and picard apologizes to her in fact for how he treated wesley and she's just she's very confident and she has this job on the Enterprise. She wants to keep it. She's really angry that Picard thinks she would prefer to be transferred. And I, I, it's too much to say she feels like a fully-fledged character, but she feels solid in a way that... Whereas the other two female characters feel a bit more nebulous. I was going to say, well, she actually has backstory, but Tasha also has backstory. It's not well yeah. defined Beverly's is more I think also also because Beverly's is a story that you could get in 1980s television a single mother working as a doctor in a job that brings her into contact with a man from her past yeah. like you could tell that story anywhere it's more relatable yeah yeah and it's familiar to the writers whereas raised on a failed colony with rape gangs like I think you need to think a bit more about the world building and the gender dynamic and yeah, yeah, it's harder. It's rough. Uh, I think. And she also suffers from the exposition problem, of course. Yes. Because she sort of blurts it out. And also I just, yeah, yeah. And this is another thing where it's like, why are you telling people this? You've just met them. I know they're possibly illusions from a post a pot post World War Three show trial, but come on, have a bit of privacy before you tweet your whole life. Yeah, it's rough. It's really. I mean, I hmm. Tasha is just she's at like twelve the entire episode. It's like <laughs> raining in, raining in, come back because I um. So you, you, I almost like I can't even connect to the to the tragedy or the sadness of her story because yeah. it's, she's shouting it. She's literally shouting it. And yes. And it's just like, whoa. And, and it's so, it's not, it's not familiar to eighties television or Star Trek. It's so yeah. different from anything we have. And, and it still is. And we never really like, even though we go to that planet, we, we do not get a good sense of anything that happens to Tasha no. in the series or, or why or what it means. And, and I think even, even now modern writers would have difficulty depicting Tasha's history well. Yes. I think it could be done, but I think it would be challenging. I just don't think they had the toolkit to do it well in 1987. And like you say, she's just blurting it out, whereas much like Beverly's history with Picard, I think it would be more effective for the audience if... It was something that came out quietly and slowly when she trusts you. Yeah, it's really, it, she just, it's sort of like, like you can say that someone who is traumatized will impulsively 
tell you. Mm. Like that's a, that is something that happens, but that's not how what it comes across. It comes across as, as you say, like shouting exposition into the wind, uh, so that we yeah. are aware of who she is as a character. And I, a, have no idea who she is as a character because of this, and b, don't connect to her on a level of a traumatized person because she is not acting that way the rest of the time. She's still just shouting. Yeah, and I think partially, I don't think Denise Crosby is a very good actor, but I also think that her weakness stands out, whereas I'm much more forgiving of, say, Gates McFadden, because Gates was around for seven seasons, and, you know, it's not that she's a bad actor, that's just how Beverly is. Whereas if Denise had stuck around for more than a season, she would have settled into the role, she would have had the opportunity to deal with better writing, she would have improved, and we would have gotten used to her. Yeah, I think... That's probably true. Whereas apparently Marina Sirtis was so ashamed of her performance in this episode that after the, the, the cast viewing, she didn't stick around for the party afterwards. And I'm like, but she was fine. Oh, girl. She wasn't great. But no one else she wasn't was. terrible. She yeah, was terrible. Yeah. She was on par with everyone else. She was doing her best. Like the scene where they go down and Riker's like, how, you know, what are you feeling? And she, and she says, I close, you know, I put up my shields because this was too much for me. And he's like, well, I'm going to have to have you put those down now, honey. And, mm, and then mm, she like starts mm. crying because it hurts so much. I was just like, I, this is so bad on so many levels that I don't even want to like discuss. <laughs> but it's like that is not actually her job. Her job isn't to feel things that can't be felt no, by normal no. people like if he had approached it as you know what are what are you using your professional skills what are mm. you getting from here and 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 then she like lowered her shields on her own made the decision herself you know got the information yeah. and then gave it to him that but the fact that he used her the knowledge that he had of her abilities to like shame yeah. her into giving him what he need the information he needed to do his job no <laughs> it's not cool man no no not 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 happy with any of that at all and i so i don't blame her inability to sell that scene on Marina Sirtis because that scene was no. terrible and I wouldn't want to be involved in it either no and I thought it was an interesting choice that Deanna doesn't just sense emotions but she feels them and she expresses them and I could you know if Deanna wanted to express profound rage every day I'd be okay with that <laughs> but at the same time it was a lot for me as the viewer and I'm glad that they stopped doing that even though that left them not really knowing what to do with Deanna at all yeah I mean it's another thing with they they didn't they had an idea for Tasha's backstory they didn't really know what they wanted to do with it so they just put a put it in the script and said that's mm. that thing and then so how, how is she supposed to portray it if it's just a paragraph in her character bio and the same with Deanna yeah. they had an idea for what her uh, abilities would be but they didn't have a, a clear actual plan for it so it was sort of like we're going to use this to do this mm. and you go do it and it just it, I mean just that it just really left a bad taste in my mouth and I love Riker and Troy together but I was just like no no and so, you know to be fair, I like the way that their relationship grows and the fact that he becomes worthy of her eventually. Like, that's why I like them. Yes. Because yes. he does step back and, and, and work. He does the work. <laughs> and so I appreciate that they show that. I, this is another one of those things where I don't think they meant to do it. It wasn't intentional. No. It was just sort of like we... We still have this relationship, so we're going to, like, nod to it every few, every, you know, <laughs> 17 episodes or something. And, and, but again, that slow progression 
ended yeah. up being good for their relationship because it it showed it as like this adult relationship where they they knew each other when they were young and they were each other's first loves and they had to grow out of that and and grow up and yes. become something more and so that was really good but it was sort of by accident in my opinion <laughs> um truth be told stuff like Riker putting Troy down like that I just sort of file it away with data using contractions <laughs> like oh that's just a mistake that didn't happen that's not canon what, what data, actually happened was much much better <laughs> okay that's data was also he's so and I remember more in All Good Things when Picard goes to the past and it's like first season data and he just gets this expression mm. on his face of, oh, innocent data. <laughs> and so I think oh. of that um, more than I do like actual first season data. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really funny to see like sort of super stiff Brent Spiner, you know, when he was, yes. when he was doing his thesaurus read. It was really, it was just like, you know, I sort of had that same uh, All Good Things Picard. Like, oh, Data. How <laughs> sweet. My son. <laughs> Despite little slip-ups, though, Data's characterization is fairly consistent. Yes. You know, he's the puppet who wants to be a real boy. Yes. And, and Riker outright underlines it and then puts some more underlining and a bit of highlighting and then he surrounds it by glitter by calling him Pinocchio. You know what? It's, it's but, cute. But that shorthand, just the fact that it's shorthand, they're using our knowledge of Pinocchio to tell mm. that it's better than Tasha shouting out her, her, her tragic backstory because... Well, you know, at least, these are men, at least so it's they know an how analogy. to write them. <laughs> like, it's like... Okay, mm. we're we're explaining ourselves through a story that everyone is familiar with. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? I'm sure it was brilliant. Oh yes, another another 1987 review. Uh, Wednesday, September 30, 1987. Uh, I just woke up after seeing the new the first episode of Star Trek TNG on Channel 29. For a new show, not bad, but it isn't Star Trek. Oh, God. <laughs> it isn't Star Trek. Yeah, I did this for the 51st anniversary. I made a Tumblr post where I put a little caption on each of the post-TOS Star Treks that explained why it wasn't Star Trek. And for this one, it was, mm -hmm. it's not Star Trek because it's a new crew. Because that's really the only yes. difference. And uh, but I remember that I, I strongly remember the this isn't real Star Trek sentiment, mm. which is no. My parents had it too. Why I never like take the this isn't Star Trek sentiment seriously for Discovery, for example, because mm. it's every single one. Like I said in my Tumblr post, every single one it, it's not Star Trek because this and that, but. The, the final part of my Tumblr post was a picture of the original series with the caption, it's all Star Trek. <laughs> Funnily enough, that Tumblr post of yours was reblogged by someone else and crossed, crossed my dash just the other day. So well I reblog it, re it every year for the, uh, for the, for the anniversary. So. so maybe I saw you. <laughs> yeah, so it could have been me, but, but it, did, it does, you know, get picked up each year, so. We've gotten a long way, and we haven't actually mentioned Q. <laughs> Q. Um, I have something yeah. to say about Q. I like, yes. I like his, uh, at the beginning, when he's going through the different, different military uniforms, you know. Mm. And, you know, he starts forsoothing all over the place. And then he's a, uh, like a World War II guy. And then he gets to the where we end up in the trial, and he has that ridiculous padded, like I know, <laughs> it's so funny. And they're on drugs; they're drugged soldiers. And I had forgotten like that part of it. I call it I call him the um, the peacekeeper uniform, even oh, though it really yeah, nice. doesn't look anything like the Hunger Games peacekeeper uniforms, but. It's definitely the same idea. 
Yeah. And definitely, like, that trial is so Hunger Games. <laughs> I'm just like, ooh. The, this, obviously, this came first, but it's just like, wow. This is, the, we're, we're playing in the same, in, with the same playbook here. I love so much about the costume and set design of the trial. And then we have the Asian dude in the Fu Manchu costume <laughs> and the white little person exactly. in the same thing. And I'm like, guys, you came so close to being wholeheartedly good. Someone is wearing an umbrella frame as a hat, goddammit. Why do you have to go and ruin it? Yeah. But so, but I'd forgotten the, uh, the trivia that they're drugged soldiers. Yeah, same. Which is like, there's a, I think, third season episode where there are, they go to another planet where they're drugged soldiers. And it's like a whole big thing. Is that the hunted, the, yes. the Vietnam yeah. veteran right. allegory? Yes. Yeah. I, I watched it for my, um, my thesis research. Mm. And it, so it, I, it was sort of like, oh, this is, it was, it was a weird, interesting way to tie our history to that idea. We even, I, like you said, it's obviously a, like a, a veteran allegory, but the, it was like, this one throwaway idea in this mm. pilot episode sort of like made a through line to we that that's that's what we did and also to mm. like the whole idea of how Gene Roddenberry di really didn't want his Starfleet to be military because he didn't he like respected the military but he didn't like them if that's, if yeah. you understand what I mean by that. I do perfectly. And I think that's a very powerful sentiment coming from a guy who did serve in the Air Force yeah. in the Second World War. Right. You know, Roddenberry had his faults, but a general respectful wariness of military inst um, institutions is not one of them. So I, I just was, I was like, hmm. And, it, and it, it also made me think of the Hunger Games and like the whole dystopian, like obviously it is a dystopian mm. future, but that's where, you know, and it's sort of like, oh, how close are we to this now? And <laughs> what, what are, like, I, I hate the fact that all of Star Trek, all of Star Trek's utopian future, whenever we look back, to basically now, mm. <laughs> to, to the now period, it's like we were in this horrible time, you know, in first contact, yeah. in uh, the con stuff, and and in in this, like we're always in this, the worst possible, like Earth almost destroyed itself, and it, then you look at reality, and you're like, well, yeah, seems legit, <laughs> so. This is deeply embarrassing, but when the US was having its 2016 election, I, looked, I was looking at it going, well, of course Hillary's going to win because first you had Cisco and, and Obama and naturally the, the black leader is followed by the white woman. So Janeway, Hillary, didn't go that way. Didn't go that Apparently, way. Apparently the reality does not conform to Star Trek. No. Regrettable. Uh, except if we want to skip the whole post-atomic horror, I'm okay with that because I don't really have that much knitwear. I want to avoid the uh, the apocalypse as well, and it, yeah. it saddens me that it, it is there's no path, there's no Star Trek path Around to it. avoid it. It's like yeah, it's, and it's not just Star Trek; it's also the Hunger Games. It's also Every dystopian mm. novel is you can't get to the better place without going through the darkness. And it's like, what if we, what if we did? What if we avoided the darkness? What if we, <laughs> what if we avoid the full-on almost extinction darkness and just end up in yeah. a flawed but better place than we are now? I'd be okay with that. Yeah, it, I mean, the idea, I guess, of all of these... Um, and is in this episode as well because Picard is fighting for humanity and defending humanity. Mm. Uh, the idea is that if we are faced with extinction, we realize that we're all in it together and we all 
have to work together and it doesn't, the differences don't matter. You know, he says when, uh, when Q is in the war outfit, he says, you know, that was when we were, where I think what Q actually says, when you were fighting over, you know, who owns this plot of land and who uses these yeah. resources. And if we just stopped fighting over who uses these resources and let everyone use the resources, then we would live in this happy Star Trek reality, right? Like that's the whole mm. post-scarcity ideal is that yeah. just everybody has everything they need. And I wish that we could just <laughs> agree to believe in that instead of having to lose everything in order to get yes. there because it's not going to be the Trumps of the world who lose everything first. These scenes and this very grim conversation for a Sunday morning <laughs> have reminded me is that I would, if Alfred Woodard wanted to do a Star Trek spin-off, I would enjoy a mini-series set of like maybe 10, 20 years after First Contact at the stage where big chunks of Earth are still chaotic and anarchic and maybe even uninhabitable. And these aliens have landed, but what do they want? What are they doing? Can we trust them? And with Lily and maybe occasionally Zephram Cochran as the reluctant and semi-qualified leaders of what they hope is a better world. Yeah, I would be all over that. I mean, that's when they say, you know, it's why I was disappointed in Enterprise because it's like I want that those stories. I want those coming yeah, together yeah, stories. Yeah, that really difficult stuff. And I understand why people don't tell those stories is because if it was easy, if we had the answers, yeah. we would be doing it in reality. Like I understand why I they know. can't why Star Trek can't give us the answer. Like I get it. I it's mm. easier to say we lost everything, it was horrible, 90% of the population died, and then we rebounded. They, you know, the Vulcans have the same backstory. Like every, yeah, the yeah. have the same backstory. It's like we have, we have a failure of imagination that we cannot imagine any race coming to this utopian Star Trek world without going through disaster first. I'm guessing that's what the Romulans are going to be all about in Star Trek Picard. Mm. I bet the Betazoids did it. I don't see the Betazoids as the self-extinction kind of people. Now I want that story. That now I'm like, okay, I'm ready to, <laughs> to read and or write that story. And, and again, I'm not holding Star Trek responsible for fixing our actual problems mm. or or even any individual country or person or community. But I just, again, would like us to move past where we are. And yeah. it's, it is sort of like I told this to my coworker. She was saying, like, she wants Joe Biden to get the nomination because she thinks he can beat Trump and she thinks no one else can. And I was saying, I hate that. <laughs> I said, you know, I, what I like is that we're even having this conversation. At least, like, the, yes. there were more progressives in that debate than moderates or centrists or yeah, neoliberals. Yeah. There were more progressives. And they weren't as progressive as I want them to be, but they were, like, we're, we're having the conversation. And what I told my coworker was, I think it's because everything is a crisis right now. Climate change is a crisis. Income inequality is a crisis. Housing is a crisis. Education is a crisis. Guns are a crisis. Literally everything. Immigration. Everything is at crisis levels. So, yep. status quo doesn't work anymore. Like, we can't, we can't with this moderation. <laughs> like that's, that's not going to solve yeah, anything. Yeah. So at least we're talking about it. At least there are people who are willing to say, we have to do something. We can't talk about it yes. anymore. We've tried the usual solutions and they haven't worked. And now we need to apply courage and imagination. Yeah, exactly. Courage and imagination. Mm. And we need to not care about 
the money. And I, we are super way off, but it is related to, because this is what the episode was about, <laughs> was about the fast and getting over it. And it makes me think one of the reasons that I want this post-first contact spinoff is to have a somewhat realistic story of survival and rebuilding. And it's not just pointy-eared aliens coming in and waving a magic wand. It's people working together and figuring it out. And maybe even a dash of like Walking Dead-style survivalist yeah. porn, but without the zombies, because I'm really scared we of zombies. We don't need zombies. I have been uh, reading a lot of fanfic that is labeled epilogue what epilogue <laughs> for both harry potter and hunger games and like anything that has like a we have this really sad story and then 20 years later it's okay mm. <laughs> like mm. because i don't believe in that the lesson we take from the, the cursed child is that all is well in that moment but not on a wider level yeah but like people, this is similar to the people who get upset about the movies. They don't like that mm. because they want to believe in the epilogue. And, and like there's yeah. a certain subset of people who just really want to have a happy ending. And that's fine for them. That's, that's their thing. For me, um, I said this on Twitter the other day in response to the get to know me meme. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from the, the last unicorn film which was by Peter Spiegel, who wrote the book as well. Um, that is... there, And also the episode, Sarah. <laughs> there are no happy endings because nothing ends. And yeah. that's always been my philosophy, and that's always been in what I've inter I'm interested in. And so I'm interested in how we get from, for example, the end of The Hunger Games to Katniss being okay with having kids. Because she had to go through so yeah, much that's an to get there. Story. You know, there is no way that mm. at the end she was that she was in that place. No, no. And I think I think it's enough that Suzanne Collins hinted at the process that she went through to get to yeah. that point. But at the same time it's an interesting story and I think that's what figures for. Right. And and so anyway, in in This has all been mm. <laughs> well, I was gonna bring it into Star Trek. I was gonna get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I that that uh like this is why I care about wanting Tasha's backstory to be a real thing instead of something that she shouts at a, at a random yes. point and why I am interested in like Picard decides that he's going to defend humanity because he he says, okay, we were that, but we're not that anymore." And I want to know mm. what he thinks about it. I want to know what he learned in history class when he was 12 years old about that time period. And, like, is it new? Like, how much of this yes. is remembered? How much of this is taught? How much of this And is matters? history... Is, is humanity really different at its core? Yeah. Or is it just that there's no need to compete for resources anymore? So it's like that thing where when you have a solid middle class every like society is more stable because fewer people are in need right like if, if all the replicators in the federation were taken away what happens do we all turn into ferengi again and and it's sort of like and bringing it back to tasha and i'm sorry to harp on this but like i'm just really no, no. interested in <laughs> because she obviously was brought up and I don't know if it's in this episode, but it's eventually it's said that it's a failed Federation colony. And it's like, why? Yeah. What? What? Failed Federation colony? Like, what happened? How did that happen? How does how is that allowed to happen? Like, why would that ever happen? Why can't they just send a starship over and fix it? Like, that's what they do to. Yes. Like all of all of the original series is the Enterprise yeah, showing yeah. up at a planet and fixing it. And I disagree with that. <laughs> like I'm I am like not super a mm. cheerleader for Kirk's way of walking. In. I mean it's very it's very imperialist or colonialist, you know, it's very I'm going yeah. to tell you how to live your life and then I'm going to leave and let you do it. <laughs> Which is like meh. <laughs> but and it's sort of like as you said that's sort of what the, the Vulcans do to Earth, right? And so we want to see them yeah. not do that. We want to see, we want to see them 
have more. And But at the same time, there's got to be a middle ground between that and just letting the place go to right, hell. Right, exactly. Especially if it was actually part of the Federation. <laughs> like, you know, how can yeah. you... How can you show up on a planet and and completely ruin their way of life mm. on one hand, but let your own people yeah. get it. What happened? What happened? Well, I always assumed it was like Australia, if Australia had been a genuinely uninhabited place instead of just going, oh, those those black people don't, don't count as terra nullius. But if they, you know, the Federation turns up to a genuinely empty world and plonks some people down <laughs> and some prefab structures and a town square with a lot of potted plants lying around and, you know, that's, that's how you get a colony. And why did this one fail? That is another... Do you think CBS would give me a spin-off that's just entirely short stories of Federation failures? <laughs> I mean, I would watch it. I think that Thank I you. think that Star like that would be super popular with the this is not Star Trek people. I mean, not not like oh, popular. I think they would love like, it. They, so it would just be a mess. But I I just, you know, I'm I'm more on the the Federation has a dark side than in the shiny happy people place. Yes. And I'm interested whenever they not they wink at that. And the Beverly also like lived in some kind of terrible like something bad happened on her planet too. Yeah, she was on a colony that was uh the uh some kind of medical disaster took yeah. place and yeah, so that's that's interesting, and maybe maybe it's just that planetary colonization is really really dangerous and not for the faint-hearted. But it seems like Tasha's colony in particular failed because of human reasons. Yeah, like they had bad leadership. Maybe Kodos the Executioner 2.0 turned yeah. up and There's took over. There's another one, Kodos the Executioner. That's a thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> that was bad. So it's 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 interesting. It's interesting when yes. Star Trek has these failures and, and, you know, there are these, like, dystopias in the utopia. Yes. That prove that it isn't a utopia, I guess is what I'm saying. One of the things that struck me was uh, when, when Picard is telling Q that humanity has a right to explore or something along those lines, <laughs> uh, my flatmate, who is much more left-wing even than me, was like, do you though? <laughs> no, I was you just know, maybe say, Q has a point. I was just gonna say that's a very like you know cultural anthropology <laughs> like ooh, yeah not really though. And, and then later <laughs> to to Wesley Beverly describes Picard as a great explorer, and I don't think that we would be phrasing it in those terms now. Now, yeah. like certainly. These people are making discoveries in the sense that they find things and meet people that are new to them and new to the Federation. But it's also like, well, the locals have, you know, that's not the frontier, that's just home. Exactly. This is why it's so revolutionary when Kira makes that point in Emissary. But it's a bit amazing to see how blatant and unthinking it is in 1987. God, we are so woke now. <laughs> Gosh, we're great. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about it. I, this is this is just like I was saying with the debate. It's like at least mm. these topics are coming up, you know. Yes, they aren't. They haven't made it into all of our media. There are still no. our media is still more problematic than not. But that's not a bad thing. No, and we're still learning. Yeah, we're always going to be learning. I hope. Like, and that's and that's good. It's like. It doesn't make the next generation bad that it wasn't as woke as it would have been now. Like, that's okay. No, it's a product we, of its time. We can look back on it with through this lens and say this should be different and this is this is iffy. But that doesn't mean it wasn't important or good or it's like it didn't it mm. did it told a story, and it's not even like nostalgia or like it was a product of its time and like th those are important things to say but it's also just that it can exist <laughs> as a thing that happened yeah. the oldest story that people liked and that we still care about 
and yes. you can just see that. It doesn't it doesn't have to be anything more and we don't have to we don't have to like <laughs> oh my god. That's what this episode mm-hmm. is about. <laughs> and actually because oh. all good things happens, that's what the entire series is about. It's about <laughs> that that we grow and that we keep growing and that we never stop having to prove ourselves because there's always going to be something more to learn and there's always going to be something that we do wrong. And that's okay. Just keep going. I am so happy <laughs> that you've reached this point. And I'm like, I know that we still have fashion to talk about, <laughs> but we could end there and it would be so perfect. But let's just quickly talk about fashion. Yes. Wesley's sweater, I'm pretty sure I saw it for sale in H&M this year. I know. I was thinking the same thing. And I also, I was sort of like, it's kind of what Seven's wearing in the Star Trek Picard trailer. Like, it has the same... Okay, Seven's jumper is not that ugly. But it's very slouchy, yes. But it's the same idea, and it's the same color scheme. Like, you know, earthy tones and... It's hilarious. His his. I mean, Wesley's sweaters are notorious. Um, yes. <laughs> so I'm glad that he started out with a bang. <laughs> um, and I also love how it's so huge, and he looks like such a baby. And it's, it's like he is not that young. Beverly bought it, going, "You'll grow into it." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wesley's like, Mom, why did you replicate such a large sweater? It's just, it's, it's like, why? I want to ask the costumer. I'm like, what were you trying to come across? Like, was the point that he is so young? Was the point that, like, what is the point? Because I don't get it. Maybe after all those uniforms, he was just tired of working in spandex. <laughs> because That's true. the card's uniform in particular is very, yeah. very tight. The uniforms... Are, they are also notorious, and I and yes, ooh, ow, just ow. I like yeah the the, the scant like I I like the idea of the scant, but terrible. It's terrible. I it looks difficult to sit in, and apparently I am a prude, and I don't think bare legs are appropriate for a workplace. So, like, if the men and women wearing the scant had leggings, I would be totally into it. Like, none wears leggings in Discovery. Yeah! And it's super yeah. cute and I love it. But I just, like, I was uncomfortable. And it was, and yeah, it mm. wasn't just, a, like, Deanna I was really uncomfortable with. She is continually tugging her skirt down. There was this down. guy in engineering and I was like, no. I wouldn't want to work next to yeah. you <laughs> wearing that. Like, if it had a couple more inches... Yeah, it, exactly. But they, it it looks a little too much. I've seen the, the design for them, and they're basically booty shorts with a skirt over them. And, and like, how do you sit down in those? And I think we saw from Marina Sirtis that you kind of try not to. But, right. And oh, then at the very end, like, Tasha's like, wearing one, and it's like, no. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. No. no. She would never like not because of who she like you said that she's she's feminine and we see her in other scenes like wanting pretty clothes. It's like it's nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's that she can't be a security officer in that. (laughs) Like bare legs. Yes. But they don't look like they're comfortable to move in or even allow a full range of free movement. I guess if they're spandex, they're probably stretchy. So maybe it's more like wearing a leotard. We should get in contact with those guys who design different scants and wear them to conventions yeah. and find out if they're comfortable. Is that comfortable? Do you like wearing it? Yeah, like they keep turning up and they keep doing it, so yeah, they must I mean, like it. They're super but, popular, you know, and and like, I yeah yeah I like the idea of this non-gendered skirt. Yes, but I, I just wish it was a little bit. Longer. It just doesn't seem practical. No. Longer and with leggings, and I am right behind Not that the spandex is, it seems practical either. Like, no one looks comfortable. No one other than Wesley no, no. in his giant sweater <laughs> looks comfortable on this ship. I remember as a kid, I would look at the, the low neck of this, this era of uniforms and go, oh, it's so dated, it's horrible, I hate it. And now I look at it and go, yeah, that's a nice neckline, but everything else is bad. It's just, uh, I mean... I do 
like that there's it's so colorful they they stuck with the the color color scheme of the original series and i like that they flipped it around though. Gold is yes. ops and red is right. command. Because maybe they're just losing too many security officers. I, like the in the in the the in universe explanation. The out of universe explanation was that they didn't like the red shirt jokes, and they just wanted. Oh well, like, you know they should have seen that coming. Who can we make so that they they stop making these jokes? So let's make the captain a red shirt. Mm. The scene where they're evacuating to the. The ridiculous scene where they're evacuating to the saucer section and everybody's running and everyone in that scene who is not in uniform is in their pajamas. Like I know. It's clearly the middle I, of the that's night. what that's the impression I got because I was like, there is no way that those are their clothes. Does everyone just wear their pajamas all the time in the future? <laughs> that's what I'm getting out of this. You know, if I if I lived on a starship and was basically indoors all all the time, I wouldn't even wear shoes. <laughs> it was just, just no one is wearing anything that I would now say is futuristic. <laughs> like I just I mm. can't I can't with any of it. It is not. It, it is another lack of imagination <laughs> in what future clothes could be. Lack of imagination, but also lack of time. Oh, yeah, and I'm money sure. And... I'm sure those are just like their pajamas bought off the the rack somewhere. And I don't blame anyone. Yeah. They, especially since I, I, my understanding is they spent thousands of dollars on the uniforms. So I get yes. it. But it's just like wow, wow, guys. Mm. Hughes Judge clothes are probably my favorite outfit. Iconic. The hat the blood red like everything is like cute like that i was like okay you put thought and effort and money Mm. into that one and as you said iconic so good good on you good on them yes i have to say i would really like to get a bunch of friends together force them to watch this episode because i'm a very bad person and then we all go out to a con as like the rabble from the courtroom scene (laughs) I, I think that would be a really fun group cosplay. And obviously the most majestic of all of us would be Q. Yes. I'm, I'm down with this. I, especially Excellent. going to the bar in our cosplay. Like, so good. <laughs> I am calling dibs on wearing an umbrella frame as a hat, though. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It'd be so good. It's a party. So great. Yes. Should we wrap up? Sure. I mean, do we have anything more to say? <laughs> I feel like we've we have gone all over the place. But we've been serious, we've been funny. But, uh, hey, did they change the shade of green what? for the the science? Did they change the shade of green for the science and medical costumes? I I don't I don't know. I didn't notice a difference. Hmm. It looked more blue than green to me, and but well, I, I, I might... thought they were always blue. They are blue. I, I thought they were blue green. Well, remember that there's only two women in the show, and they're both in yes. science and medical, and one of them doesn't wear a uniform for most of the time. When she does get her uniform, oh, it's know. very blue. But when she's not in uniform, she's often in teal. And Beverly wears that that yeah. coat that is definitely yes. teal. And I think that those two things together make you think. That it's more green, but it's actually blue. That it's my theory. That makes some sense. That makes sense, but I am going to look it up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we're going to talk about shipping in Voyager. And I don't mean the parcel kind. <laughs>